Good morning. It's good to be back. If you ever, ever had a hunting dog that got lost in the woods and stayed gone for three or four days, and the thing you notice most about him when he gets back, his tail is wagging because he's happy to be home. Well, just, just know I'm happy to be home and leave the rest of it alone, but uh, I'm happy to be back. And two of the things that uh, I've already noted this morning in being back is, is your friendliness and uh, the, the excitement that you seem to have when you get to this place and the music. It always blesses my heart to hear the people of Bay St. Louis sing and especially the choir. Thank you, Peggy and musicians, for that. It has been a, a wonderful experience. Uh, when, when Ron called me the other day, I sort of had mixed emotions. It, it, was, it was sad that uh, Owen had, had decided to go back to Oklahoma. Uh, I knew that you liked him and loved him and appreciated him, and I, I hated that. But when Ron said, would you come preach for us Sunday, I just, uh, I just went into my happy dance. And uh, it's good to be back and good to see so many of you again and, and get to fellowship with you. I, I, I have an ideal thought about becoming a Christian. If, if we could become a child of God one day and for the rest of our earthly existence never have another problem, never face another trial, Never be tempted again. It would be a wonderful experience, wouldn't it? I mean, just live every day in the joy of the abundant life, live in the sunshine of God's grace, and never have to put up with the devil. But it don't happen that way. Once we are saved, the trials and temptations of life may escalate. The devil may get more active. He's lost the war but he still knows he can win some battles. And so the devil and life itself puts us in the crucible of trials, and we face trials day in and day out. We face the temptations of life. When the, when the devil enters into our subconscious, enters into our spirit, and tries to seduce us to do evil things, and these experiences of trials and, and temptation just go on and on until the day we die. And James speaks to this in the little epistle of James in chapter 1, identifying himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he's writing to the 12 tribes of Israel, that is the Jews that are scattered abroad, and mostly because of the persecution. And this is what he says to them in verse 2, in the verses following, My brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If ye lack wisdom, ask God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, that it shall be given him. Skip down to verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. 
But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. May God bless his word, the reading of it. Pray with me that he might impart to us the knowledge of it. Father, in these moments ahead, help us to see the truths of your word. That even as believers, even as men and women and boys and girls who are on our way to heaven, we're going to face trials and we're going to face temptations. But in all of this, we can be triumphant. And may we find that triumph in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. As James explores the reality of the Christian life, he says that we as believers are going to face many, many trials in life. He uses the word variegated there, that a word that, that it is diverse temptation in the King James, but it means many colored. It means of all different sorts and kinds. Uh, someone has said that every one of us are either entering into a period of trials, we are in the midst of a period of trials, or we are just emerging from a period of trials. And the truth of that statement simply is that whether we like it or not, we're going to face the difficulties of life. Regardless of how faithful we are to God, regardless of how strong our faith is in God, we're going to face some of the things in life that are beyond our control that we simply cannot take care of. And because of that, we need God's presence, God's power, and we need the strength of God to help us in time of trial. And what he's saying here is that it's not a matter of if, of if they come. But he said, brethren, when they come, count it all joy when trials come into your life. Now, there are only two basic trials mentioned in the book of James. One is oppression, specific of the oppression of the poor, and then he talks about sickness in chapter 5. But there are many other trials in life that you and I are facing. And the likelihood is that every one of us are right now facing some trial in life. They basically come to us in four different arenas of our existence. Trials can come to us in family relationships. There should be no group of people, no small body of people, more so than the family, that should enjoy a relationship with one another. But any time two or more people live in the same house, you're going to have trials. They come regardless of whether you like it or not. Mothers and daddies get absolutely tried to the end of, of their patience with children. Children don't understand why mom and daddy don't understand. And that age difference just makes it even worse. And, and, and husbands and wives get all out of sorts with one another. I heard about this one lady whose husband had a drinking problem. And she decided she was going to scare it out of him. So one night when he stumbled in about three quarters of the way drunk, she appeared 
before him in a devil's costume. And she screamed and beat and shoved her pitchfork at him for a few minutes, and he just stood there. And then after a while, she says, aren't you scared? He said, why should I be? I'm married to your sister. And the truth, the truth is, husbands and wives, boys and girls in family relationships, have difficulties. And the devil will use these trials to weaken our faith in and relationship to God through Jesus Christ. The second arena in which we're often tried is, is, in, is in, in work relationships. Uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I worked on the farm until I went off to college. I spent four years at a Baptist college, among a bunch of other Baptists, many of them uh, church vocation related individuals. Left there, went to seminary, left seminary, went to the full-time pastorate and stayed on the field. All of my life, except for about four months during my last tenure at uh, the seminary, I've worked with Christian people. But during those four months, I worked at a freight, freight line in New Orleans. I heard words, I saw actions, that I didn't even understand. I mean, it was so out of character for what I had known all my life. Some of the words would curl the hair in your ears, and I didn't even know what they meant. But during that few months, it made me aware of the fact that when Christians work in a non-Christian environment, that it's difficult. It's tough. It tries our faith when people all around us are not like us and they, they, they ridicule us, they, they, they belittle us because of our faith, and there is a real trial to that kind of a working relationship. But it's not just in the secular world where we work with non-Christians in a non-Christian environment that, I, that our uh, faith is tried. Even working with one another in the fellowship of God's church, there are trials. You don't have to be a member of a Baptist church for very long, maybe 30 seconds, to know that we don't always agree with one another. Things don't always work out like we want them to work out. Somebody who's always on the other side of the issue, somebody who always takes exception to what we think. And in the fellowship of God, in the family of God, we sometimes have difficulty working with one another. And, and, and our faith is tested. Uh, our, our faith is tried to the point that we don't know exactly what we ought to do. I heard about this one young man who was laying in bed on Sunday morning, and his mother knocked on the door of his bedroom, and he said, Who is it? Well, it's your mother. What do you want? Well, I just wanted to come tell you it's time to get up and go to church. He said, I'm not going to church today. She said, what? He said, I'm not going to church today. She said, why not? There were a lot of people down there don't like me. Every time I go, there's somebody on my back about something. They gripe about this and they gripe about that, and I'm just tired of it, and I'm not going. She said, oh, yes, you are. She said, I'm going to give you three good reasons you're going. She said, number one, you're a Christian. And the place a Christian ought to be on Sunday morning is in the house of God. 
Besides that, you're 43 years old, and you're well old enough to know that you ought to be in church. She said, but the main reason you're going to get up and go is you're the pastor, and you have to go. <laughs> Sometimes we don't like one another. Sometimes we don't like what the other person does or thinks or says, but it doesn't make any difference. When our faith is tried in the relationship with the family of God, it just gives us an opportunity to grow in our relationship to one another and strengthen our relationship to the Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit who indwells our lives. A third area in which we sometimes face the trials of life is in the area of our wealth. Wealth is a weird thing. It's, it's one of those things that can be here today and gone tomorrow. It cannot be here today and all of a sudden we got more money than we know what to do with. Now I know what you're thinking. I'd love to be on that side of the coin. But it doesn't always happen. But, but, but wealth has a way of, of, of shackling us to this world if we aren't careful. But our wealth is a point where our faith is sometimes tried. If we come to the end of the month and we've got a choice of paying the house note or buying food for the family or paying the electric bill or buying our medicine and there's only enough money to do part of those things, it can test your faith. It can try your relationship to God. And, and, and when we face these difficulties in life, it again gives us the opportunity to begin to trust and rely on one another, but also to strengthen our relationship to God. And strangely as it may seem, it's not just having too little of the world's goods that can test our faith. You can have too much of it. And it can also test your faith. Because it's very easy if we have all the things in life that we want and need, and more besides that over in the bank in some CD or some bank account, it's very easy to think we don't need God because we got all these other things. So a lack of wealth or too much wealth can be an area of our life where our test, our faith is tested and tried. The fourth arena is in the area of our health. Uh, several of you have asked this morning about my wife Charlotte and how she's doing and my response for the most part of it. Well, she's doing fair but not real good. Uh, there's, a, there's a way that age and don't you say, I tell her I said she was old, I'm not saying that. But there's a way that, that age begins to bear on all of us. And, and life uh, becomes different because of our health problems. There's probably no more devastating word in the entire English language than the word cancer. And when a doctor stands at the end of the bed of a patient, and says to that patient and his or her family, it definitely is cancer, and you have three to six months to live. If you don't believe 
that will take the wind out of your sails, if you don't believe that will take the syrup off your biscuit, you just have to be there. Because it can destroy everything you have lived for. And that kind of health experience can test our faith. It can try us as we try to relate in the abundant life relationship to God. But not only do terminal illnesses do that, chronic illnesses can do the same thing. A chronic illness is sometimes worse than a, than a terminal illness in that a chronic illness day by day by day saps from us energy and strength and financial resources. And it causes us to get to a point to where we don't know where to turn. And when we get to that point, it tests our faith. So in the arenas of family life and work life and health and wealth, our faith is tested. There's some of those trials that James is talking about, those many trials that are going to come. And it would be very easy to see these things as bad. Oh man, it's bad to have families fussing and fighting. It's bad to be ridiculed at work. It's bad not to have enough money to pay the bills. It's bad to know that you've got health problems you can't do anything about. And yes, it's bad. But I believe that God allows testing. God allows these things to happen in our lives in order that he can do something special. God even sometimes brings these trials to our lives. And I'll suggest to you that there are three reasons that God allows or causes the trials of life. Number one, God does it, God allows it for proof. God wants us to have the opportunity to prove how faithful we are to him and how much love we have for him. Good example is Abraham. God said to Abraham early in the book of Genesis, I'm going to give you uh, uh, descendants that are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky, the sands on the seashore. Abraham goes for years and doesn't have any descendants and he begins to question God. And Finally, God sends to Abraham and Sarah a son. In their old age, a miraculous thing it seems. And I can only imagine that, that Abraham and Sarah went to Toys or Us and bought that kid everything they could possibly buy. They opened up bank accounts in his name. They began to buy certificates of deposit in his name. They got him musical instruments. They got him a car. And I bet it was a Camaro, red as it could be. Oh, they loved that kid. And one day God said, Abraham, you know that boy Isaac? Yes, sir. I want you to take him up on that mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me. You think that'll test your faith? Let somebody ask you to kill your own child for God's sake and see how your faith is tested. But it gave Abraham an opportunity to prove his faith in God. What about Job? God's word said that Job was a man who probably had it all made. 
had a bunch of kids, had a lot of land, had a lot of livestock. And one day, in a matter of hours, God's Word says he lost it all. And toward the end of the book of Job, after Job and God spar with one another, after Job and his friends talk about this relationship, he comes toward the end of Job to say, there was a time when I knew you by the hearing of the ear. I had a hearsay relationship with you, but now I know you by the seeing of the eye. I have had an eyeball-to-eyeball relationship with God, and now my faith is greater than it was in the beginning. For the purpose of giving us the opportunity to prove that we belong to Him and that He is our source of strength in this life, God allows us to be tested, or maybe even gives us testing from time to time. Secondly, God allows us to be tested and, and, and will test us himself sometimes in order to progress us. Not just to prove us, but to progress us. The likelihood is that most of us are where we want to be. But where we want to be is not where God wants us to be. And sometimes God will allow us to go through the trials of life. God will bring upon us the trials of life in order to progress us, to move us from where we are comfortable in our own being to where God wants us to be doing the things God wants us to do. Good example from the Bible is a man named Joseph. Joseph was one of Jacob's children, and in all reality, Joseph was a bit of a smart aleck. If you read the Old Testament closely, you'll find that he loved to, to brag about the things that his father did, especially that coat of many colors. He loved to tell his brothers how much more important he was than they were, and, and he was just a sort of a smart aleck. Well, they got tired of it, and when the opportunity presented itself, they decided they'd get rid of him. First of all, they were going to kill him. Then they were going to throw him in a pit and let him die. Not much different. He's going to be dead anyway. But then they decided to sell him to a bunch of Ishmaelites as a slave who were headed for Egypt. And you know how in Egypt he found him a good job. Didn't last long because some woman messed him up with that and got thrown in prison and almost rotted there until one day he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh. And then he became the second in command in all of Egypt. And he says to his brothers, God allowed all of this to happen in order that I might become the savior of the people. That I might build up a reservoir of, of, of supplies to save all of Egypt and I'm going to even bring all of my folks down from up in Canaan. So you see, I'm sure that during the time he was being tried, Joseph wondered where in the world God is and why in the world God's letting this happen. But what God was doing all along was moving him, progressing him from where he was to where God wanted him to be. And sometimes God allows us to be tempted or tried. Sometimes God allows the difficulties of life to invade our lives 
in order that we will wake up to the reality that we're not doing what God wants us to do, but that God wants us to do something else. And God uses this experience to move us to where he wants us to be. The third reason that we sometimes face the trials of life is for preparation. Not just proof, not just progress, but for preparation. Every trial of life, if handled in the power of God, if we allow these trials to strengthen our lives rather than destroy our lives, we are always better prepared for what God has in store for us than we would have been without the trials. I read a story one time about an old man who had spent most of his adult life making axe handles. Now, you and I live in a time where even if you have an axe, you go down to the hardware store and buy a handle for it. But people used to make their own handles for axes. And this old man had his grandson with him one day, and he said, we're going to find some trees to make axe handles from. Well, they got into the edge of the woods and the lowlands, and the little boy saw a tree that looked tall and straight, and he said, what about that one, Grandpa? I said, not right yet, not right. And they continued to move, and they moved out of the lowlands up on the side of the hill and finally further up on the hillside. And then the grandfather said, there's the one we need right there. He said, but why pass all of these beautiful trees down here to get to that one? He said, all of those trees down there in the valley, all of those in the, in, in the, in the swamp, they've never been tested by the winds that blow and by the elements that we have. And, and, and it's colder here and it's worse up here. This tree has weathered those days. And it's going to be stronger than those trees down there. Well, I don't know much about making axe handles. But I do know this. That there's temp- the trials of life, the difficulties of life, can make us stronger in order that we are prepared for greater things. And this, again, is true in the life of Joseph, the life of Abraham, uh, the life of, of uh, Joseph, uh, God does it in order that we might be more useful. But not only does he talk about trials, trials are usually things that come from without us. They, they, They come as a result of the circumstances of life. They, They many times come as a result of the action of other people. Temptations, on the other hand, are not for the most part outward things. They come from inward things. They come from something inside of us. And here in this 13th, 14th, and 15th verses, James says we can't say when we're tempted. And the word there is very different from the word that he uses back in the second verse. The word in the second verse has to do with with enduring the difficulties of life this word has to be has to do with being seduced to evil he said don't say when you're seduced to do evil that that came from God because God does not tempt anybody 
Remember when Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit in the garden and God came to, to Adam and Adam and Eve were hiding and God said, Adam, where are you? And finally Adam said, we're over here, hiding in the bushes. Now this is a little bit loose translation, but you'll get the picture. What are you doing in the bushes, Adam? Well, seems like we're naked. Who told you you were? And then God says, you did it, didn't you? You ate that fruit I told you not to eat. So they come out from hiding. And God said, Adam, why'd you do that? Well, God, it wasn't really my fault. You know that woman you gave me? She made me do it. Sorry, women. I'm just quoting what Adam said. That woman made me. Well, really, he was saying, that woman, you gave me. So really, God, it's sort of your fault, too. So Adam said, oh, God turns to that woman. Eve, why'd you do it? Well, that old snake made me do it. He slithered up there, and he looked so pretty. He was so sincere. And when he told me how good that stuff was, I just couldn't stand not trying. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain of uh, receiving the Ten Commandments, and, and uh, Aaron, his brother, had made a golden calf, and the people were worshiping it. And, and Moses said, what the world are you doing, Aaron? So, you know, you're not going to believe this, Moses. But all these people came to me with these golden rings and earrings and bracelets. And, and they brought them in a basket. And they told me to throw them in the fire. And I threw them in the fire. And out jumped this golden calf. Again, I'm being loose with the interpretation. But in the whole thing, he said, it wasn't really my fault. The people made me do it. Do you remember black comedian Flip Wilson? Who did flips they made me do it? Devil made me do it. And today, you and I use this excuse. Well, you know, I, I don't really want to sin, but, but I live in a society that is so full of sin that, that sometimes I just don't know, I just don't have a choice. Or it's heredity. I'm born of human beings, and human beings just sin. Hey, what God says. In that 14th verse, God's word says, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's what the King James says. Those two phrases are very picturesque. Drawn away paints a picture of a hunter setting a trap to catch an animal. And when you set a trap to catch an animal, you bait it with whatever is going to be most attractive to that animal. Uh, heard about this guy who had some mice in his in his uh, out in his garage up in the little closet he had, and he he searched around till he found the mouse trap, and so. He began to look for something to put in the mouse trap, and he couldn't find anything. But he happened to look at a magazine, and it had a picture of a big piece of cheese. So he cut out a piece of the cheese, paper cheese, out of this magazine and stuck it in there. 
The next morning he ran out to see if he had a mouse in his trap and instead he found the picture of a mouse in his trap. He said, preacher, that's silly. I know it is, but it paints a picture. The devil is going to bait the trap of temptation with whatever he thinks you like best, whatever appeals to you most. That's the first picture. The second picture is is enticed. The King James Version word there means, it literally means to drop a lure. And it paints a picture of a fisherman who's trying to catch a fish. And you're going to throw a lure out there that looks as near something real as you possibly can. You're not going to throw something out there that that fish has never seen or or, or even thought about, but it's going to be something that looks to him like the real thing. And when the devil lures us into sin, he's going to lure us with whatever it is that appeals to us most. The devil is no dummy, and he's going to tempt you And he's going to let this temptation come from within you at your weakest point, at the thing that you desire most. But at the same time, we need to be careful to say, I'd never do that because even at our strongest points, the devil sometimes tempts us and snares us into sin. So the cause of sin is that little black spot that is within us that causes us to want what we shouldn't have. And the course of it, the course of sin, is always downward. An attitude festers and grows and becomes an act of sin against God. A desire that we should not have begins to mature and that desire becomes a deed, a physical deed in which we act out what our desire was. And it always carries us further and further and further from God. And according to that 15th verse, God's word says, and when lust hath conceived, It brings forth sin, and when sin is finished, it brings forth death. It's a dark picture, isn't it? We're going to be tried in every area of our life. We're going to be tried by the things that take place every day, and there are going to be so many of them we can't keep up with them. We're going to be tempted. But let me tell you that just like being tried, being tempted and being tried has a beautiful end to it because over our trials and over our temptations, we can be triumphant. God can take the trials and temptations of life and help us through the power of his Holy Spirit to triumph over these things And we'll come out of them bright and shining examples of God's grace and God's mercy. The three things in this passage of Scripture that I think if we adhere to will help us to be triumphant in trials and temptations. Number one, in the second verse he says, count it all joy. 
Somewhere in our Christian lives, we're going to have to move from happiness to joy. Happiness is that experience in life where we are excited and glad about things that turn out good, that are good. Joy, on the other hand, is an experience in life that we have whether things are good or bad. And he says that even in times of trials and temptations, we ought to face them with joy. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you're letting me go through this so I can prove to you who I am in my relationship to you. So the joy of the Christian life, if it lives in the abundance that Jesus promised in John 10.10, is going to help us to triumph over temptations and trials. Secondly, verse 5, he talks about, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You and I are pretty sharp folks. We know a lot of stuff. Our kids know more stuff than we do because they play with those little things all day long, and they know a lot of stuff. Sometimes when I can't make mine work, I call my grandchildren and say, what do I do with this thing? And they tell me how to make it work. We know a lot, but folks, we don't know it all. We need the wisdom that comes from the power of knowing God through the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to fight the trials and temptations of life. And when we don't know where to turn, I can tell you where we should always turn, and that is to God. And the third thing he talks about is in verse 12. Blessed is a man who endures. The word endures means he's, he's, he's passed the test. Uh, those of us who can still remember when we were in school know the horrors that were associated with looking forward to test. Uh, studying vigorously the night before, though we hadn't studied all the last semester. We just get in there and we dig and we dig. And then when that test is over and we walk out of that classroom and think, well, I sure scored good on that one. Don't you feel good? And this is what James is saying. When we pass the test, when we have endured the trials of life and the temptations of life, and God has brought us victoriously and triumphantly through those things, that we're going to feel real good, not about ourselves, but about God and what he's doing in us. As we look at our lives today, as I said a little while ago, that you're either going into a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're in the midst of it. But God is there. And God wants you to be triumphant in the trials and temptations of life. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not even really in the battle yet. Oh, the devil still has you. Once God gets you, you'll face these things. But if you do not know Christ as Savior, if you'll come this morning, James or I or someone else will talk to you about your relationship and how you can become a child of God. Maybe you already know that you're a Christian beyond any doubt, but you know that, that, that there's not exactly... 
you're here and God wants you to be here. And you want to make a new and fresh commitment to God to that end. Maybe you remember some other church and fellowship with this church. God has a place for you to work and to serve. As we sing this hymn of invitation in just a few moments, it's God's invitation to you to do what God is leading you to do in this service this morning. Pray with me. Father, in these closing moments, we understand that life is filled with trials and temptations. But the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross is our guarantee of triumph. Help us, Father, to commit ourselves to him as Savior, as Lord, as Master, and live triumphantly in what Jesus says is the abundant life. To that end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.